You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. So I was out in Patagonia, Arizona this weekend for the Spirit World Gravel Race, which is this rad event that takes you out from Patagonia to the Mexican border and back through the high desert of the Borderlands region. And aside from it being a very rad event, once again, I met so many feisties. And I just want to thank everyone who came up to me at the venue or out on course to say kind things about the podcast. I am self-employed, so I sit here in my office with my fish and occasionally my cats, sending my spoken and written words into the universe and hoping they make a difference. And it's super wonderful when I meet actual humans and hear that they've helped. So thank you again. It is so cool seeing so many feisty women at the start lines. Okay, so last week I teased that I was going to have a conversation with Dr. Carla DiGirolamo for this week's show on testosterone. And we had some technical difficulties, so you will be hearing that one next week. This week, I have an equally awesome show on tap with sports nutritionist Lauren Antonucci, author of High Performance Nutrition for Masters Athletes. Lauren reached out to me as an athletic expert and an athlete herself who has been dealing with perimenopause symptoms and some issues for the past year and a half. She's, she's 47 now. So she took Dr. Stacy Sims menopause for athletes course, and she actually made adjustments to her own training based on it and told me she's been feeling better than ever. So I called her up and, you know, we had to talk all about that, what she learned, what she changed, as well as a whole host of other topics relevant to high performance nutrition for us right now. I think you're going to get a whole lot out of this conversation. I know I did. Lauren is a registered dietitian and is the owner and director of Nutrition Energy, a nutrition counseling practice based in New York City. And she currently sees clients both in New York City and virtually all over the world. Lauren has been a board certified sports dietitian for over 15 years, as well as a certified diabetes care and education specialist. She's also a mom of three, a runner, and an Ironman triathlete. She is also, as I mentioned, the author of the newly released book, High Performance Nutrition for Masters Athletes, which is currently available online wherever you get your books. So check that out. Okay, before we get to it, my little weekly reminder to come join us on our social media channels. You can find us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. We have a private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook channel that continues to grow, where you can come in and join our conversation on anything that's on your mind. And if you want a deep dive into all things active menopausal living, we have our Feisty Menopause membership, where we offer in-depth materials, expert webinars, and sponsor discounts. You can learn all about that at feistymenopause.com. If you want to reach out to me directly, I have an email at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. If you like the show, kindly go to your podcast platform and give it a five-star review. If you've already given it a review, a million thanks. All those hearts, the stars, the ratings, and the reviews have continued to help the show to grow, and it means so much to all of us over here. Okay, enough of me truly. Let's have a few words from our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. 
Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code Hit play, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E. And the code is hit play, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. Well, I'm so psyched that we have finally made this happen, Lauren. We've been sort of going back and forth on, on direct messages and emails, and, and here we are. Thanks, Celine. Yeah. Me too. I'm happy, happy to be here and excited to talk to you about all kinds of great things. Yeah. Well, we have so many common people in our orbit, right? Like, mm-hmm. I have your book right here, High Performance Nutrition for Masters Athletes, and there is Nicole Senqui, who has been, yeah, on, who has been on the show. And how did, how did she get on the cover of your book? So Nicole Sinkwe and I have been friends, I'm going to just say forever. 
Okay. Uh, it has to be more than 20 years. I think we stopped. No counting. way. Yeah. She and I met totally random in a yoga class at a community center here. Wow. And we were kind of, there were all these older women doing all these yoga poses that neither she nor I could do. We were these inflexible runner people mm-hmm. and 20 years ago. Right. So we were 20 something. Yeah. And we just really hit it off after class. And we're like, oh, we both go running. We should do that. And then we just became very fast friends and we still are. Well, that's cool. Do you train together at all? So even though we both technically live sort of in New York City, we live very far apart. New York City is a weird place. So it would take us over 45, 55 minutes to get to see each other. So we don't get to train together as much as we like because it's it takes a lot of coordinating. Okay, each of us city bike or run to one place and then we'll run right. somewhere and then you have to get home. And of course she yeah. teaches math and I've got to get to the office. So not as often as we would like. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Cause she had mentioned you in one of your emails to me, you said that you did the SOS Cape Cod. I'm not really oh, sure yes. what that stands for, but was she there? Cause I thought she mentioned she was going to do that. Oh gosh. So she was supposed to do that. And let's just say work got in the way and there were some student teacher conferences and she wasn't allowed uh, to attend. So I was supposed to do it with four teammates. And unfortunately, for various reasons, the other three had to drop out. So race day, I felt like I was racing for everybody. And what exactly was that race, the SOS? So it's a little bit crazy. It starts, it's survival of the Schwagung. So it started up in New Paltz was the original one. And I did that one. I want to say a million years ago is probably more like 20. We'll just say 20 for everything. Um, And that one's longer, but the format perfectly suited to me, who, as we'll discuss, the bike was the last thing I came around to liking or even close to becoming, let's just start with remotely okay at. Um, (laughs) And so it's a bike ride. And this was a 25, 26 mile bike ride. And then as I put it, I get to get rid of my bike and do the (laughs) stuff I love I know you're more of a cyclist. and I've yes, there. But I've heard others um, talk about the bike that way. It always cracks me up. It's this thing that I'm I happy have... to dispense of at the end of that very long leg. <laughs> Correct. Like the first time I did an Ironman and someone takes your bike from you and then you go to run, I said something and they misunderstood me and they were like, no, you'll get your bike back. I was like, no, no, no. Thank God you're taking my bike. I get to go do my thing now. You know, I get to run. So after this 26 mile bike ride, my husband took my bike. You have to have your crew person. And then it's a run, swim, run, swim, run, swim, run. And either that sounds awful or so cool. And you get to run from your bike to a lake or they called it a pond, beautiful, pristine, clean water. You swim across it, you get out, you run again, you swim with your sneakers, you have no support. They give you water and gels and sports drink. But other than that, you know, you run, I stick my goggles in my uh, sports bra and, you know, you're putting your cap and goggles on as you're running down and swimming with your sneakers tucked into your bike shorts. And either that's bizarre or really awesome. And I found it really awesome. Probably both. <laughs> it's a little bit, it's a little yeah. both. Now that's intriguing. I like, I like interesting events like that. That yeah. is, that's very cool. So yeah, let's, let's go a little bit um, about your athletic history because you were a very fast runner, it seems like, until puberty hit. And then yeah. found triathlon at some point. Which <laughs> was a couple of years right? ago. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So I was a, I will say, a mediocre swimmer first. I had some friends on a swim team. I was always athletic. I started, you know, I think I came out of the womb and started running and drove my mom crazy because she didn't get to sit down 
ever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just programmed that way. And so I was always active and wasn't really great at anything with a ball like soccer or basketball. It was just not my thing. And maybe later I came to realize it also, for me, all of these sports are just a great shutdown, do, don't think. And all of those ball sports require way too much thinking for me. A lot right? of thinking. I played field hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would have gotten it in the head. Like, it's no good. So I swam and I was, I would say, a, a very solid, mediocre swimmer. You know, I would go and sometimes I would do okay. It had fun. And then in middle school, I joined the track team because my friends were, and it was a good time to see my friends. And very quickly, I realized I really loved it, at Mm. least as much, if not more than swimming. And I was way better at it. And more of my friends were on the team because it was the school team. So I quickly, one year I did both and that was a little chaotic, but you know, I was 12, so who cares? And then I switched to running and was like, all right, forget the swimming. And then I was a runner from seventh grade till today, we could debate whether I'm a runner or a triathlete I'm both now, but um, started running pretty early. Hmm. And then you got into triathlon and then put it down for a while because you have three children. Is that? Yeah, right. I mean, over the, (laughs) totally fair on the course of our lives. So, I mean, I ran in high school and I don't know which part you want me to go in first, but I can gloss over my athletic career if that's a thing, but no one ever paid me. So I don't know that it's a career. Um, Ran in high school, ran in college, loved it. You know, it was my friends, my social network, my community, loved it. And then after college, I went to Berkeley for grad school, um, met some amazing people that were doing these beautiful trail runs. And so I was loving that. And I had a bike, but I just used it to commute to the grocery store and to class, right? It was my transportation. Starving grad student, beautiful country. $200 mountain bike, which was not even really a mountain bike. It was some sort of hybrid thing. Hybrid. Um, And then I moved back to New York City after grad school. And I decided I wanted to do an event with team and training. And I went to the meeting and was like, well, I'm a runner. I'll do a marathon. And then I got there and they were talking about how you're going to do this difficult event. And I was like, well, I've already run a marathon. So I think this is supposed to be really hard. So I should do this triathlon because... I haven't biked since I was 10 and I was barely a mediocre swimmer. So that'll be hard. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'll do Mm -hmm. that. Uh, So that's how it started. That was in 1999. And then I borrowed a bike from a friend of mine. Who's a guy who's 5'10". I'm 5'4". That wasn't (laughs) ideal. No. um, As you know, but he was nice and I did what I could. We did a half Ironman and then I was hooked. I was like, I love this. I love the swimming again. And this biking thing in the middle you know, I can swim really fast. I'll bike around however long they tell me. And then I get to run again and I can run pretty fast. Right. And so I loved it. And then we ended up doing, I met my husband through team and training, a ton of our friends, one of those, it sounds trite and silly, but my husband and I met in a bike shop at a tire changing clinic. Uh, the kids like that story. See, so the biking really played an integral part in my life, Celine. We're good. <laughs> And then we started doing tries and that was like what we did. You know, that was our fun. That was our, again, Mm -hmm. our community. So Mm -hmm. how old was I? I don't know. This was 22 years ago, right? So I'm 47. So forward in twenties and we would go to work and train and eat, right? So you'd go for a bike ride and come back and eat. And then we'd go for a swim and we'd eat and hang out. (laughs) And it was fun. And we did a couple of Ironman races. We did Olympic distance. We did half Ironman races. We had a crew, super fun. And then, of course, I'm a competitive person within myself. And I was like, well, there's this Kona Ironman thing. And so 
you know, if I can get this bike thing under control and figure out what I'm supposed to do on the bike with these gears and these brakes and all these parts that I'm not used to as a runner swimmer, right? Where something mm-hmm. can happen is your goggles break. Um, so I hired a coach for a year and trained on the bike and I was really trying to make Kona and we did Ironman Wisconsin. And I don't know what happened. I got exercise induced asthma randomly uh, out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with an inhaler a few months before that Ironman and whatever on race day, it was humid. I, I did what I needed to do on the bike. So I was all proud of myself. And then I had to run, you know, a very reasonable time for the marathon. And I was like, I can go to Kona. And by mile nine of the run, I couldn't breathe. And I'd already used my inhaler twice. And then I was hiding in the bushes as my husband and teammates went by. So nobody saw me. So they didn't stop because I didn't want to ruin their race. Um, and I finished and two minutes after I finished, my husband's like, you haven't said a word in two minutes. And that has not happened the entire time I've known you. I'm bringing you to the med tent. And they gave me a nebulizer and I was fine. And then I said, well, I either have to train again or we should have kids, right? So we were married, <laughs> fast forward. And it was like, well, let's just have kids because we want to. And you know, yeah. I'll do another Ironman maybe when I'm 50. And now I'm realizing I'm 47. Our kids are older. Mm. I haven't done another Ironman. We'll see when, but uh, that's the long and the short of my story, I think. Excellent. Um, well, that brings us right up to 47 and perimenopause, right? So, yeah. you know, you, you've talked about in our offline conversations that you, mm-hmm. you know, have been having some symptoms over the past like year, year and a half. Uh, what have you been noticing? It's a great question. I mean, first of all, first of all, I love your podcast. And I think this Thank is you. so amazing and a great resource for women to be able to talk about it, have these conversations, hear things from experts. And for all of us, I mean, I think every single one of us feels like we learned so much. So first of all, thank you. And there was nothing like this when I first started feeling symptoms and I was 45. And I asked my mom, when did you go through menopause? And she was like, I don't remember. Well, so that, that didn't help, you know? I was like, okay, start asking a couple of friends. And again, I was 45. So it was like, well, you know, Nicole would tell me her story or a couple other friends would tell me theirs. It's like, where do we get this information? So I just started looking online and trying to read books and figuring out what were my symptoms. At first they were vague. Like I've had some migraines over the course of Mm -hmm. my life, but they've never Mm -hmm. ruled my life. They're kind of sporadic. And those got worse. I was like, why are these migraines getting worse? And then I said, are they cyclical? And then my periods got there. My cycle got shorter. My kids, Celine, their birthdays are within the same week. So like my period was that regular from the time I was 19 through 45. It was clockwork, right? Our kids' birthdays are March 7th, 9th, 10th, two and three years apart. Yeah. Like predictably by the third time we got pregnant, we're like, well, we know when this kid's going to be. <laughs> and then I've out of nowhere, um, you know, 24 days, 19 days. I'm like, am I mm. stressed? Is something changing? I went to my OBGYN, who I love, but she didn't have anything to do for me. She was like, well, your hormones are fine. You're not in menopause. I was like, well, I didn't think that, but something's happening, right? (laughs) Oh my God, that wasn't that long ago. Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) No, no. Yeah, but I just think, you know, we each have our skill set and- Right, a lot of, we talk about that a lot on OBs, like people who's, people who- focus on the OB part of that aren't necessarily thinking about perimenopause. They're not, that's not where their expertise was, but yeah. 
well, maybe a slight aside, but you know how many times I've been to PT for my life and my, like for my Achilles, for my hip. But when I had my first child and I had a diastasis of four mm-hmm. fingers across, which is pretty wow. good, right? That is big. Yeah. They said it was impressive, but was I sent to PT? No. Right. Like impressive. That's what I want. You know, he was a big baby. He came out pretty fast. I tore, they sutured me up. Was, did anyone talk about my pelvic floor? No, you know, no, not until 10 years later when I was like, wait, people are talking about pelvic floor. Oh, damn it. I should have known about this 10 years ago. What can I do? So I think it's similar, right? It's just now we're having the conversation. So these migraines were coming on and then this, this was the, probably the biggest one. The periods were shorter. And I was like, well, I guess I should take iron because, you know, my iron level is probably going to go down. Being a dietitian, at least I thought that much. Um, and the, the one that was annoying me the most is my breasts got swollen and tender and to the point that it was detracting from my running. So like, what kind of a weird athlete person am I? That's when I was like, this is unacceptable. My run that is my joy and my happiness is hurting and unfun, Right. So I was like, forget the migraines, forget the periods are shorter, my iron will be fine. I was like, they're ruining my running. This is unacceptable. So I'm reading and looking and I'm like, I think I'm estrogen dominant, whatever that is, right? And I'm reading and then I'm like, wait, maybe it's perimenopause. Is that okay? So I was just doing a lot of reading and research and trying to figure out what I could do mostly to get the running fun again, to get the migraines to go down. Plus I was waking up at three in the morning for an hour and a half every night. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, with feelings, great. Great. <laughs> that's great. No, <laughs> I would wake up and the world would be ending every every night about two thirty or three. Like just feelings of impending doom. That was really it was fun. It was great. <laughs> it was just fine. I would say yeah, and and again, that's really important, right? Like I was never an anxious person my whole life, and same thing. I was feeling like, why am I more anxious? Well, I have three kids and a business and this and that. Right. Like, it's easy yeah. to write that off, but. Yeah. yeah, it's that free floating anxiety that is new, right? It's a, it's different. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about it. So we don't all just sit around feeling, you know, well, something's weird and wrong with me. I guess there's nothing I can do about that. I'll oh, well. You're awake for two hours. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So, w- at what point did you come across Stacy's course, the Menopause for Athletes? So I actually looked that up because I wanted to get that right. It was March of 2021. So look at what oh, else okay. was going on in the world in March, 2021. Right. Um, but it was actually a perfect opportunity where I didn't have to bring the kids anywhere. I didn't have to pick them up from anywhere. Right. I didn't go anywhere. So right, I like, right. I'm going to take this course. My book had just finished. I had finished all the edits. I was like, I'm going to take this course. And I was so excited. And I had seen Stacy and followed what she was doing. This, this next statement is probably not true, but she was the only other female science researcher I had ever seen. There's probably someone out there studying into them. I'm sorry. And they're probably doing great work, but she's the only one I had ever seen doing research on female physiology. And it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's definitely a pioneer. Definitely a pioneer in this space. What eye-opening moments did you have during that course? So the nutrition piece, I felt pretty good about, and we can talk about that, although it was reinforced. Um, And again, that's what I do as a dietitian and a sports dietitian. So I love the science researchy stuff. So I'm happy to read studies on anything that's interesting to me. And so I had read what I could Um, for my book. I had done research on master's athletes and 
I was even surprised to see how high our protein needs go. And high is a relative term. We can talk about that too. But compared to, I think, what most of us might be getting if we didn't pay attention to it. And I am certainly in that bucket, right? Right. right. Um, if I didn't pay attention, it would be easy not to get enough protein. And, you know, I was in high school and college and it was carb, carb, carb. Did anyone ever mention the word protein to me? No, yeah. not yeah. at all. Right. It wasn't like you're a runner. You need more protein. Like that was never said. It just wasn't talked about. Nobody thought about that at that point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So did you change any of your own training based on what you learned? Yeah. So I feel like this stuff, and I mean, I was listening and watching the course and every time I would finish a module, I would get off and I'm so excited. All this science she's talking about. I love it. Um, and the things that I changed typical, right. If you wanted to guess this, like endurance runner, swimmer person, what did mm -hmm. I need to do more of? Now you I actually always lifted. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I always lifted and I'm, I'm a very easy, easy to build muscle person. Like I was more muscular than everyone on my track team and was like, well, this is probably not good, but what am I going to do? Right. Um, and since I got injured in college and afterwards, I did a lot of strength training. So I was like, I'm totally good, but turns out not totally good, just somewhat good. So I started doing different intensity on the bike and run, which then I started really liking the bike. I think I was just putzing around on the bike and that wasn't fun. And when I started doing real workouts, like speed workouts and high intensity, and I got a power meter, then I was like, oh, this is really fun. Right. Um, right. So it gave me something to shoot for me. Like, can I hit this amount of Watts for this time? And for me, even though it doesn't matter to anyone else, it was fun and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So she was talking about really short, really intense stuff. And as an endurance person, I didn't do any of that. I did like marathon goal pace or 70%, which was kind of no man's land, right? So I talked to my coach and was like, listen, you're the coach, you're a physiology dude, I respect you, but I'm also taking this course and I really want to do this with my training. And he was amazing. And he incorporated that in and I responded really well. So I started doing stuff like, 30 to 45 seconds as hard as I could on the bike with some amount of rest. And it depended on the day, whether it was two minutes, four minutes. And I never did that. And instead of feeling like I wasn't hitting the workouts, I would come home thrilled, excited, elated, and overjoyed. And it was working. And my paces started coming down and my power on the bike went up and I felt happy. And there were still weeks where I would just write in my training log, workout failed, workout failed. Like I just couldn't hit any of the numbers. And then the next week I would feel amazing and hit them all. And here's where I was like, something is going on. And I remember like when you and Stacy wrote your book, you talked about during the cycle, you'll have a week of your period where you feel good and a week where you don't. And I never felt that, but suddenly I did. Uh, and I was like, huh, the week before my period, whenever it feels like showing up, I feel like garbage and I don't hit any workouts. And now I know. And that is good information. And I don't come home sad. I come home going, huh, all right. Yeah. I know my period's coming sooner, probably in three or four days. Cause that workout was horrible. You know? Right. Did you, um, had you been lifting heavy before? Periodically in different, I'm going to always go back to PTs. Right. So I, I also did personal training when I went to NYU for my master's in nutrition and needed to make some money. And I was always a science person. I was an athletic trainer in college and, so I was like, oh, I'll take the exam and I'll be a personal trainer. So I did it, but I was like, you know, a side gig personal trainer I, just I, to yeah, make money. The same thing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
so I knew and I lifted heavy sort of, I did squats, but there wasn't really a, a rhyme or reason. You know what the other thing, and I'm feeling like maybe you interviewed her way in the beginning of your podcast, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, EC Fit with Erin Carson. Yep. Did you speak to her? Yep. Right, she so was I the second, her. What, third? Yeah, very early yeah. on. Yeah. I met her at a retreat. It was a running retreat with Kara Goucher, who was in my book. So I met her and went to this retreat and she's awesome and met Erin. She did this session for us. And I was like, oh my God, I love this woman. I want to do workouts with her, but she lives in Colorado and I live in New York. Um, and then she has an online program and I've been using that and it lines up really well and it gave me direction and focus. So I will say I've been doing her stuff since um, and having the science behind it again with Stacy's course to back it up. Like, okay, this totally makes sense. And yeah, no, she's great. I've been feeling better. Yeah. 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 I like her. Her mobility work is second to none. Her mobility work is really good. Yeah. I appreciate that a lot. So that's, that is all, that is all amazing and awesome. So I would like to sort of pivot now and talk about your other part of your uh, athletic career is your book, you know, and like the oh, advice that you. you, that you offer to others. Um, obviously you have a whole book, so we're not going to go through it all, but I, you know, as <laughs> <laughs> that would be a very long show, but as I was going through it, I was thinking of the stuff that comes up again and again and again and again, um, mm -hmm. on, on the channels and, you know, in my messages, a huge one. And I am still guilty of, of, of falling short on this myself is, you know, under fueling and low energy availability, which mm -hmm. I just think, mm -hmm. I think is really even people who think they're doing okay. I mean, it's really eye-opening when you start tracking. I mean, there are some days I, you know, I'll look at my stats from, from my workouts and, and what I track and I'll burn like more than 3000 calories. And I know I've not eaten 3000 calories. Like I know I've not, you know, hit those numbers. So talk to me a bit about under fueling as you see it and how you help women not do it. Mm, good question. First of all, it's a long process, right? And yeah. I, I like to think, you know, I mean, you and I were talking before, we've both had kids, you know, the, the worst thing you could say to a pregnant woman, and I'll get back in a second, is like, oh, it took you nine months to have the baby. It'll take you nine months to feel like yourself again. And you roll your eyes. But then unless I don't know what happens, you're in the very minority, you get one or two months postpartum, and you realize, you know what, it is going to take me nine months to feel like myself again. And that is okay. And then I can embrace it. And I remember packing up all my clothing from pre-baby after I tried it on a month and a half later. And I put it on a box and put my kid's birthday on it, except the following year. I was like, just don't try this on. Like, don't bother, right? And it's a process. We've been taught certain things about fueling and underfueling and the messaging, the terrible messaging about, you know, the guilt and shame associated with certain foods and the righteousness and virtue <laughs> associated with other foods mm -hmm. and the praise given to people that look and act a certain way or the praise you might've been given when you chose the salad. Oh, you're, you're so much willpower. One of my least favorite words on the planet. Totally. Um, you know, Oh, how do you resist it? So everyone is praised for these things. And I, I do understand that I'm a dietitian and that we're humans and I do work with people with heart disease and high cholesterol. 
And we're not saying that those things aren't important because they absolutely are. Those public health burden diseases are important, but we also have this huge other burden of underfueling and eating disordered and disordered eating that affects people's lives in a different but very important way that I think even myself as a dietitian over the past 20 years and all of us as humans, we need to be able to navigate both of those at the same time. And that's really tricky. So the first things are really just saying, okay, one mind blowing fact, you can trust your body more than you think. So what happens when we track things? And we can talk about that. I mean, I'll have women pay attention to their protein because protein intake, especially in female athletes, and then the menopausal, menopausal transition is really key. And yeah, many we'll talk about that next for sure. Protein fall short. So we may, yeah. we may look at that. But in general, I don't need to, I can calculate all this stuff. I'm happy to do it. It's part of my credential. I can calculate everybody's needs and I can give it to you on a silver platter or a piece of paper or a spreadsheet. But what I really want you to do is remember that you can trust your body and learn to re-examine when am I hungry? How much do I need? With exceptions. Like, do I want this fuel at five in the morning before my long ride? No, I'm doing it because I'm supposed to. That's different. That's like, do I feel like putting on a hat? No, but it's 12 degrees. So I'm going to, and yeah, you know, but for the most part, there's so many women that, well, I shouldn't be hungry because I just ate breakfast. Uh-huh. Well, I shouldn't be cold either. And I am. So am I going to be cold or am I going to put on a sweater? Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. I know that that's a good analogy. Thanks. People, people tend to like that one. It's a little weird, but it, it's, you know, just trying to take the overthinking the guilt, the shame, the associations out of it. Like, do I feel guilty putting on a sweater? Do I question whether I should really need my sweater? No, I just put on a sweater. I'm cold. You're not cold. Great. Don't put on a sweater. Here's my sweater. So I think with this energy mismatch, we see it in all kinds of people of all body sizes and shapes, all different activity levels and all different metabolic rates. So people might make an assumption, oh, this only happens to people who have low metabolic rates or their needs aren't high, but think about those people who've maybe been athletic or genetically, your metabolic rate's been high and you've been eating with other people your whole life because that's what we do. And maybe you always needed to eat a bit more, right? So maybe your friends weren't on the sports team or maybe they were, but you just have higher needs and we're conditioned that that's not really okay, right? So am I going to be the woman that eats the most at the table with other women or guys? Maybe I'm not. And then maybe I start feeling self-conscious. And so now I'm not eating enough to meet my needs. And then maybe this starts in high school. Maybe it starts in college. What happens at 10 o'clock at night? What happens when I get back to my dorm room? Or what happens at any age when I put my kids to bed and it's 10 o'clock at night? Well, now I'm wondering why I'm eating three bowls of cereal and feeling horrible about it. And this whole cascading effect happens, which I really feel is you know, a mismatch in listening to our bodies and trusting them and fueling well and appropriately throughout the day, instead of always feeling like, well, if I could eat a little less, less is not always better, I think is what I'm trying to say, right? Oh, totally. And, and you know, I have been guilty of that. Like, I, I, I have this idea of what like breakfast should look like. And mm. when I actually just eat what I am hungry for, I am so much better off. I'm not like ru- running around the house with a spoon going, well, maybe I'll just yes. shovel some peanut butter in my, you know, like it's, yes. it's, it's, it's this strange thing, but, but it is a matter of like, it's okay to have two pieces of toast, you know, it's okay. Yes. Like, 
okay. Right. Yeah. And I think that gets into so many other things. It's also okay. And this one I'm not good at, but it's also okay for me to sit down on the couch for 30 minutes and relax on a Saturday afternoon. And, mm. you know, I've got kids and running around now. My good, I said, I'm not good at that one. And my husband will agree. Um, but I'm getting better because I realized, you know what, what if I am tired? So it's the same thing. Yeah, I have stuff to do. Yeah, I have three kids. I have a business. Maybe I can't sit down. But when I can, don't just conjure up something else to do. Right. You know? There's always and something the food, to do. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday I cleaned out under my bed. So like I said, I'm not a great example of that one. Um, again, we live in New York City. I needed the Halloween bucket. Oh, okay. That's fair. Kept <laughs> I'm looking like, I'm not looking like, under there. <laughs> My bed's pretty high. Uh, think New York City apartment, uh, you know, no basement, right. no attic. Right. But in the fueling, I mean, it can be a little scary at first because we've been trained for so long. And in our age bracket, right? Let's say we're, I don't know, 45 and above. Maybe someone's younger. Good for them because they're going to be better off. They're not going to be questioning all this stuff and wasting time trying to figure out what's wrong with them when they start experiencing changes. They can be ahead of the curve. Totally. To just start saying, oh, okay, if I listen to my body, then I do feel better and I'm more productive. And the biggest sign I would say, as you just said, I really want people to think about if you find yourself either consistently at a certain time of day or just randomly at different times, you're like looking around your kitchen, opening every single cabinet, searching for thing after thing and nothing is satisfying you. You didn't eat enough earlier in the day. And we just have to figure out where, or is there a specific thing? Are you not eating enough fat and someone else might not be eating enough? Like, what are we missing? Because that's it. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you never can buy these foods again. You need more earlier. Totally. And wow. and, totally. And I, it's funny because you say that because when I started writing Roar with Stacy, I was, mm-hmm. um, she had me just for an exercise, like, do a dialogue and I, and I don't, I don't track things. I'm not, I'm not anal like that, but, but it, I was very honest and I'm like, okay, it's two 30. I've had a spoonful of like soup that was in the fridge. I had a spoonful of peanut butter. I grabbed some nut, you know, she's like, you're hungry. Like what, right. like, what you know, she's like, that means you're hungry and you did not eat early, you know, and just started front right. loading. Cause I'm very active and I wake up hungry. She's like, well then right. eat in the morning more, right. you know, you can feed yourself more. I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm an educated woman who writes about this stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy to oh. just not. Yeah. Yeah. But conditioning and training years and years from every angle can supersede your intelligence and all the other writing you've done. It's like, well, I'm still probably supposed to eat this X number of calories, or I'm right. still probably not entitled to two pieces of toast. For God's um, sakes. But man, is it amazing when <laughs> women start feeling feel? better. Yeah. Yes. What right. Every learned? time someone yeah. comes in, they're like, I feel better. My energy's better. I'm like, yes, that's what this is about. And yeah. then at the end of the day, you can decide, like, I really like ice cream. So that's going to appeal to me. But you know what? It doesn't appeal to me in a half gallon size every single day, unless I don't eat all day. Then I totally. will want a half gallon of ice cream. Yeah. Now I get to decide. Oh, you know what? Tonight, I just wanted one scoop. I was actually pretty full after dinner, and I'm just tired. Another day, I actually wanted a bowl of ice cream. But I now know that that's all okay, and there's nothing to be worried about. And once we start realizing, okay, I've met my needs, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm not worried about it. 
things start to fall into place and then life is more fun. Yeah. Right? Your oh, training 100%. is better. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Evelyn Tribble, I think mm-hmm. described it as like when you're trying to like that whole idea and you said you hate willpower, that, that notion as like when you're trying to hold down a beach ball underwater, like right. all day, like, and as soon as that beach ball is going to pop out, it's going to really pop out. Right. And it's just a right. very similar thing. Like, I'm just going to suppress this and suppress this and suppress this. And it's just so like your brain will always win. And then there's physiology, which is part of what I like to explain to people. You can only fight your physiology so long. It's like, and this is a good example, but maybe not for all of us because sometimes we just really have to pee and it's the whole, we've conditioned ourselves. Like when you said, when you get off the bike, I think that happens to all of us. But for the most part, I can only sit here thinking I have to pee for so long before I have to really actually go and do it. Totally. Yeah. So hunger is a physiological need too. And we just have to learn that, you know what? I just have to, you know, go get make myself a sandwich. Like before this podcast, I had a half an hour between clients and other things to get everything together. And if, and I thought about this because I was getting ready for the podcast, I quickly made a peanut butter sandwich, stuck a banana on it, ate it kind of quickly. You know, how mindful was it? That wasn't important for today. I just needed to be ready. But I didn't sit there for 15 minutes worrying like, oh no, what if I have two pieces of bread? Should I make, make, measure my peanut butter? How many calories? So you, you are freed up to just say, I just want to be thinking and able to talk to Celine and I'll have a vegetable later. You know, like I like vegetables. I'll have one later. It's going to be okay. Amazing. Yes. I think that is, that is all amazing. And it is a process, but it can be done. And I encourage everyone to get on the path. <laughs> you know, you, and yeah. yeah. And you know, one easy way, just in case, because I'm sure a lot of people have these questions and are struggling with this. And just to say, you know, the number of people who want to work on this, I would imagine is pretty high. Just think of, you know, in training, sometimes we just keep training harder and harder and harder. And you have to realize, wait, I need an easy day. I need a rest day the eating shouldn't be less and less and less and harder and harder and harder. If that's the way it's going, you're spinning the wheels in the wrong direction. We should Mm -hmm. be eating smarter and possibly most of the time more. So I'm going to purposely eat before my workouts. I'm going to purposely refuel. None of this, I'm going to do a workout and eat as little as possible till the end of the day. And it'll work out because everyone knows that doesn't work out. Totally. Oh, I'm just going to go out for a three hour ride and I don't, I'll just put something in my pocket and not feel myself. I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Let's talk protein. As you've heard a million times on the show, women in the menopause transition need more of it. As estrogen declines, it's harder for us to make muscle and we need to take in more protein to get the job done. If you're training hard, you need even more, a lot more, two grams per kilogram per day, which for me, is about 120 grams. Some days it's a challenge to get through meals alone, so it's nice to have powders on hand when you need them. And if you're looking for one that is low in sugar, high in branch chain amino acids like leucine, which is especially good for muscle protein synthesis or making muscle, and is easy on your belly, our sponsor Prevenex has a good one, Norify Plus. Norify Plus is a vegan protein powder, which I know a lot of our listeners are keen to find and is also super rich in all of your branch chain amino acids and contains probiotics and digestive enzymes. So it's easy to digest 
and doesn't cause the gassy feeling that you get with many other protein powders, which is something that I know a lot of women are interested in as well. Nerify has more than 130 positive reviews, including one from Hip Play Not Pause listener Donna, who gave it five stars saying, I just made my second shake with the chocolate vegan protein supplement. It is delicious. I love that it has vitamins and branched chain amino acids. I think this will become my go-to protein powder. Thanks, Donna. So listeners of the show can get 15% off their first time purchase by using the code HITPLAY at checkout. Again, go to Prevenix.com, use the code HITPLAY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money back guarantee on all of the products within 30 days, no questions asked. So again, use HITPLAY, all one word, all caps at checkout, for 15% off your first time purchase at Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com. So let's let's go into protein because you know you you sort of alluded to um well, you stated how much more important it is now. And and you know, we've talked a lot about that. But you know, what does that what does that really look like in application from men? Because that we get that question an awful lot. You know, how do I, how do I get what I need? How do I get what I need? How, it comes up a it's a great question. And as you can imagine, I'm not a big fan of having people record everything, the macros, like every once in a while we record a little thing or just write it down for three days, Celine, let me see what you're doing. I'll do the math and see how much protein you're getting in. I'll let you know if you need more good fats, right? Um, but the protein, I think the easiest way to say it, the research is really clear. And all we have to wrap our head around is some really easy to understand concepts of what a serving of protein looks like, which we can do in a second. And we have to be getting protein in three, but really better four times a day. Okay. And especially for all of us active women and the guys too, they're not um, any different in the, they need protein four times a day. But, you know, if you want your muscles to recover, you can't eat all your protein at once and having the biggest piece of chicken or the huge thing of tofu and beans at dinner, it's not going to cut it. It's just right. not going to cut it. So we've got to get it in three or four times a day. And then each person gets to figure out how and when they want to do that. And the beauty is everyone can do it in a different way. Whatever works for your lifestyle in terms of which kind of foods and which time four times throughout the day, get in a really good source of protein. Okay. And Talk a bit about branched chain amino acids or essential amino acids like that, you know, yeah. Are there, we're past the point where we have to worry about food combining, right? I'm thinking about my plant-based athletes. Um, you know, we, we're, we're past that, but what are some good sources for people who are plant-based to make sure they're getting the essential amino acids that they need? As you said that, Celine, I'm picturing some weird movie I watched in sixth grade where they were like, must combine amino acids in one meal. It's like, well, right. that was wrong. Okay, fine. <laughs> yeah. um, the, the movies were cute, but that was wrong. So that's good. Good news, because we don't have to really worry about that. And your body's really good at taking amino acids and putting them all together later. And so you just go about your day. Um, so really, well, all we need to do is know what foods have protein within what we eat. So if someone eats chicken, it includes chicken. If someone eats fish, it includes fish. If they don't, then we better see a whole lot of words that sound like tofu and tempeh and beans and nuts and hemp seeds 
because otherwise you're not getting enough protein. Right. 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 Um, so I don't want to say it's easy to get enough protein as a vegan, but it's not as hard as people think. You just have to pay attention, right? You have to be mindful of, well, if I have this bowl of oatmeal for breakfast, that's great. And maybe I like oatmeal or maybe I have toast, but I don't eat the eggs. And then I put avocado. Well, that's a great breakfast, but hmm, protein, not super high. So can I sprinkle two tablespoons of hemp seeds? That'll get me an extra 10 grams. Ooh, that was a pretty big boost. And if I've got a good whole grain bread, maybe there's three, four, five, even slices of protein per slice. And if I can get something anywhere close to 20 grams of protein that I can easily identify each of those four times, there's a whole bunch of other protein you're going to yep, eat from yep, other things yep. like your vegetables or that avocado. Or, and so you're fine and you're doing great. Excellent. Cool. Cool. That's great. So great, maybe great it's advice. tofu and beans. Maybe it's, mm-hmm. you know, the nuts. I mean, I was in college in the fat-free phase days. Oh my God, I was um, too. They demonize so many foods, nuts, avocados, things that like I live on, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's- but thank goodness we, we figured it out. And maybe because you were doing so much research and writing and I went into nutrition, but I still see women, whatever, our age or anywhere thereabout that are afraid to eat fats because they think they're too many calories. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you and I was mm-hmm. hoping you were going to say that it was over. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say you don't see that. I see less of it than I did 20 years ago, but I still see it for sure. Do you see carb phobic people now? I mean, I'm going to see some of everything, Celine, for sure. Yeah, I see a bit less of that too, but you know, we get stuck in patterns. We all get stuck in patterns, right? And mm-hmm. if we just think of, and my undergrad was in um, biopsych, so it was like the physiological basis of behavior, why we do what we do. And then at Berkeley, I studied the gut, physiology, Mm. how we absorb. And so those two things, I'm very science focused. Like what is my brain doing without my knowledge that it's been Mm -hmm. trained to do? What is my gut doing? How does that affect my absorption? And how do I use both of those to my advantage to have more fun, eat yummy food, go ride my bike, do whatever I want to do, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, we still see it. People got stuck there too. And talk a bit about carbohydrates, because I do think that there, in, in the spheres that I'm seeing, there are still w- women who are like, oh, you know, it's the carbs that are the problem. And I mean, especially since you're talking about brain, you know, I once interviewed uh, a neuroscientist and he's like, I put a lot of young runners on antidepressants that I think just need to eat carbs. Hundred percent, and thank goodness for that person because ninety-nine other people are just putting them on antidepressants and never sent them to a dietitian and never talked about carbs. Hundred percent. Yeah. Mood disturbances. I mean, depression, anxiety, low mood, huge when we don't have enough carbs. Well, and at this time of our life, like our quarter, like we need, like we're more susceptible to all of those things that you just mentioned, right? Yes. So it seems like let's not take all the carbohydrates off the plate on top of it. Um, No, but you see why people do, right? And so, you know, I think you've done, again, a great job on this podcast of bringing on a a great group of diverse people to talk about, you know, the middle-aged weight gain. First of all, I don't want to be middle-aged. And second of all, what the heck is that? (laughs) I don't know what, call me a master's athlete, but middle-aged just sounds weird to me. It's a weird. Um, I don't know what that means. Yeah. So let's just get away from that and let's start talking about fueling, feeling good. What does our body need? We need carbs for our brain. I kind of like the fact that I can carry on a conversation or 
think or have fun. I think what we need to do, Celine, is really prioritize our quality of life, our mental health, our ability to have stimulating conversations, to engage in meaningful work, to go ride our bike or run or hike or swim or anything that talented people with a ball want to do that I cannot do because the ball will hit me in the head <laughs> over the fact that, you know what, I'm 47. If I do this with my hand, if I pinch my skin, my skin doesn't go back. It's not as elastic. My kid's going to go, ew. If I pinch somewhere else, if I stand there long enough, I can find something that I can ridicule. But what if I focus on carbs give me fuel, fuel fuels my brain, carbs give me energy. I had a great bike ride in Central Park this morning, and I'm going to feel better all day. If I sat around not eating carbs and not riding my bike, I would not be as much fun to talk to right now, and I wouldn't be having as good a day. So it's, it's kind of shifting our priorities like, and thinking about carbs are our fuel. If that's something you struggle with eating enough of, it's holding you back in some way. What can you do about it? And maybe we're also stuck in a place, which I see a lot of like my other least favorite term, clean eating. No, clean eating. My floor can be clean. My eating is just eating. There's no clean eating. That's not a thing. I eat a cupcake. I'm still clean. My body's clean. Everything's fine. No clean eating. That's a horrible term, especially in this low energy availability space, right? No good. Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree with that. I'm not, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of, of many of those terms. Um, right. Yeah. No. Fueled athletes perform better. Fueled, women, women especially perform better in a fueled state. So I think that that is super yeah. important. Um, let's talk a bit about supplements. And you, you cover quite a few in your book. There, there's some mm -hmm. that come up uh, in this time a lot that I, that I don't I don't have answers for, I haven't spent enough time in the literature. Collagen is one of them. Mm -hmm. um, it's been coming up a lot. What are your thoughts on collagen as far as the supplementation? Collagen is one of the ones that my mom called me about years ago. You know, I read an article, maybe you even wrote it, Celine. I don't know. I read <laughs> <Probably>. an article. <laughs> you know, it's like those phone calls I get. I read an article. I should eat a Brazil nut. I don't remember why. Should I do that? I'm like, yeah, go ahead and eat one Brazil nut. It's selenium. Go ahead and eat a Brazil nut. Right, right. Um, don't eat the whole can. You don't need the whole can. It's, it's fine. But yeah. Nobody likes, I mean, if anyone likes Brazil nuts that much, I would like to hear from them because Brazil nuts, <laughs> the one nut, they don't really have that much flavor. Nobody That's true. really wants them. The one is enough, but collagen was one of those things. I would get calls from, you know, my mom, um, I read an article on this in XYZ magazine, you know, back when magazines were the thing before the mm -hmm. internet was crazy. Should I take this? It was like, well, I don't really know. Um, but it looks like, how do we assess a study? I think that's like the first thing. And I know you do this and you know how to do this, but just for the, everybody to know. No, this is good. Mm -hmm. We need to look at research. And my least favorite thing is people will take a tiny bit of really good science and then make what I think are like, you know, in that mother may I game, four big frog jumps to a conclusion that has nothing to do with the first tiny bit of science. And the first tiny bit of science may have been correct. And then four big frog leaps later, you know, like the old, when I was at Berkeley, the Stanford swimmers, they were doing those studies in fat adaptation. It was like Stanford swimmers, they burn more fat while swimming. And it's like, well, this sounds amazing. And it was, and they don't perform any better. And then it's like, well, okay. And then do we care? So now we have 15 other questions. Anyway, in the collagen studies, it looks like first thing I want to know, is there research behind it? Is it doing what I want it to do? And the second thing I really want to know, 
Are there risks or side effects? And then can each person decide, you know, just like we might with any other herbal supplements or hormones, I'm going to weigh the risks and the benefits for myself after I read all the books and, you know, and then I'm going to decide, right? So collagen's pretty safe. There isn't a lot to worry about, right? And there's some pretty good research to show that it can be beneficial. So I think this falls in the category of, hey, if you're looking for something to do and you have joint pain or connective tissue issues, or maybe you're even worried about your skin, maybe maybe we try it. And what we're looking for is probably 10 grams of um, hydrogen. Uh, that was really nice, Lauren. Um, hydrolyzed collagen. I put them together. I speak too fast. So maybe up to 15 grams. So 10 to 15 grams, like everything, it works better in people that are doing resistance training. Shocking. Mm -hmm. Sit on mm -hmm. couch, eat protein, no muscle is made, right? <laughs> right? Right. Take collagen, sit on couch, also doesn't do very much. That's not this group, so we don't have to worry about that. So everybody's already active. So if you want to take somewhere between 5, 10, 15, I was surprised when I started seeing studies saying 5 grams because we were always telling people to take 10. You want to start with 5 grams, fine. Um, there are some pretty good newer studies that say enhanced effect in terms of increasing lean body mass, grip strength, leg strength, maybe even decreasing bone turnover, which is something we're really interested in, right? Especially postmenopausal, the second postmenopausal, it's like, there goes my bone clock, right? Um, so when you take 10 to 15 grams a day with about 500 milligrams of calcium and somewhere between studies are looking at 200 to 400 IUs of vitamin D, which we probably all need and is such a little amount that not even worth worrying about, right? So I think it's a great option for people for those, a whole bunch of reasons. Um, it's readily available and low mm -hmm. risk. That, I, that sounds great to me. Uh, moving along to another one that has come up an awful lot. And you know, some of the research has been a bit compelling on it, especially for women, uh, creatine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one too, because I mean, but Actually, when we think about it, and like I said before, you know, when we were in high school or college, no one was even talking to us about protein, like only big muscle guys need protein. You runner women definitely don't. Well, that's ridiculous. So the whole creatine is for men. And there's where that, well, what's, what's the mechanism of action? What is this stuff actually doing? And why wouldn't it be good for us? Right? So we're like, okay, it's made from amino acids. It's stored in our fast twitch muscle. This doesn't sound gender specific so far, right? Unless you're in the 1950s when women weren't allowed to play sports or before Title IX even. So we're going further and be like, well, then you women don't need it. That's a right. horrible attitude. It's found mostly in meat. So milk and fish um, and other meat, any meat. And they would say most people who eat meat get maybe one to two grams of it a day. And then there's some good studies. So one really easy study, which in this group, it was like 60 and over women actually showed women who got less than one gram a day of creatine in their diet had more cognitive decline than women who got more than one gram per day. So there's a reason to decide, well, you know, do I want to eat more fish or do I want to take some? Um, and then the traditional stuff. So there's always this loading phase of something like, you know, the ISSN, the International Society of Sports Nutrition recommends it as 0.3 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is going to come out to something in the same realm of about 20 grams a day, unless you're very 
small in stature or in a much larger body. So like, we'll say somewhere in the middle, like 20 grams of, of this a day for the loading phase. The hard part is it's supposed to be taken in four equal doses. So it's like one of those antibiotics you have to take, you know, exactly six hours apart and you're asleep. You're like, how do I do this? So four times a day, five grams for something like five to seven days. And then a loading phase, which is like maybe three to five grams a day. And they show pretty good results with increasing lean body mass and strength and power. So I think, again, it's another really good option. Could you just take it over time and let it build up that way? I mean, is it, do you really need to do that loading phase or can you just have it build up over That's time? a really good question. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to do There's some a, research on that. Yeah, I can send you a link because I was just reading a study on that. Um, mm. It's a big creatine paper. Actually, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty interesting and I'll send it to you. And, and they, Thank they you. posited that question and there was some thought that perhaps the loading phase would not be necessary, but you would need to take, it would just take longer, right? It would just be a longer that makes sense. ramp, which, which does make sense. Yeah. So. And the other little loop back here, which actually I meant to, well, anyway, so there were some of the studies are showing that if you take the creatine, here's the, my favorite part, it works better when you also are taking in food at the same time, which kind of makes some sense. So yeah. they're saying, and you know, yeah, that does especially once you get to the right. So like take it with food. They're saying at least 50 grams of total protein and carbs. And it's thought that that's because an insulin gets a bad reputation, but it's actually necessary in some, in many instances. So it's because it increases the insulin response, which is going to increase the uptake of the creatine to get it to where we want. So same thing, I think you mentioned once, and I meant to message you then, like you wore a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor after, and you saw your insulin spike after a workout and you weren't sure if you were, should be concerned. Well, it was, it was just interesting. You, yes, you're, 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 you're correct. I did a ride, I came home and I had like little roasted potatoes that were done and I popped one of those potatoes while I was making my lunch and it was pretty remarkable to see the little zip of a spike that happened on the, the, and I wasn't super concerned, but it was, it was just an observation that I thought was like, wow. Right. So I work with a lot of type one diabetics and because I work with type one diabetics and athletes of all sorts, I work with a lot of type one athletes. So we're looking at that data all the time, right? I bet. They're taking insulin and matching it up. And so it's super interesting now that these continuous glucose monitors are available, but just quickly to say that insulin spike after a workout is not a bad thing and it's not by accident. It's actually on purpose to get the carbs and protein into our muscles. So by taking carbs and protein after a workout, like if we're looking at the research into muscle protein synthesis and recovery, we're all talking about increasing the insulin response. So in that window, it's beneficial. So just to say here, because insulin gets a bad reputation, um, if you're you know eating after a workout and you take the creatine and whether you use somebody's glucometer or have one or, or wear one and see, you know, your blood sugar goes up a little bit or your insulin response goes up. It's not necessarily a bad thing at that point. You can think of it as aiding your recovery. If it's up all day or in the morning, yes, we should deal with that, but that's a whole different. And then well, before I get to the final supplement, I was curious about, I'm curious what your thoughts are because I've, I've had many conversations with people not affiliated with some of these, um, continuous glucose monitor systems mm. who aren't convinced that it's the best thing for athletes to be using them in the way that they are. They're, they're not convinced that it's, 
that information is as complete or as useful as it perhaps is being marketed. I'm going to agree. I'm going to agree with that. I mean, my type one athletes, it is absolutely. Totally. I remember. Yeah, yeah, there's no question. Right. Yeah. I remember um, one guy, Ironman triathlete before the CGMs were available and he bought one of the first ones on the market and it was big and clunky and um, it was horrible. So for anyone with type one diabetes, especially if you're an athlete, absolutely imperative for the rest of us. I've worn them because I mean, I know the reps and I've worn them over the years. I've worn the Dexcom for a couple of weeks just to see. And so I could enter it and know how to help my patients with it um, and see that it didn't hurt and it doesn't fall off when I did stuff. But I think that the data for anyone without a blood sugar abnormality, without a type of diabetes, so far, I don't really see the use in it. And I don't think magically that will surface. Um, you know, it's what are we going to do? We're going to start waiting until our blood sugar looks low before we fuel. That would just be dumb, right? Like that would be going against everything we already knew. It's like saying, Oh, I don't fuel on my bike until I'm dizzy. And you know, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. You don't want to be dizzy on your bike. We just fuel. So I don't think they're there and I don't know that they will be. Although it, it seems like a cool idea. Yeah, no, it does seem like a cool idea, but most of the, the, the people outside of the space have, have, have questions about if, about the application in that way and, and believe they're being oversold. Yeah. I agree. Um, and then also yeah. I have another concern. It's just another thing for people, like you said, so now what, you're going to avoid potatoes for the rest yeah. of your life? No, there, and there are people doing that. They're like, I'll eat yeah. bacon. I'll just eat bacon. That doesn't spike. <laughs> I'm just like, wait, stop. You know, mm-hmm. This isn't, this isn't yeah. where we so were I going agree. with that. Um, no, I don't think it's useful. Yeah. And I think more harm than good can come. So yeah. right now I'd say if anyone's thinking of it, and it's expensive bike shirt instead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's expensive and there's all kinds of questions about what it's doing. I mean, that's off topic, but to the marketplace for the people who actually need them, you know, so it's like, there's a, it's driving prices in ways that might not be beneficial for like people who actually need them, but that's a whole, and plastic is more waste. Anyway, I could get on that. So <laughs> um, I'm so going to just get on CGM. If you don't have diabetes, <laughs> right, I'm going to get that. Final, off that. Yeah. It's <laughs> the final uh, supplement I was interested in talking to you about quickly was um, turmeric or uh, curcumin. And, right. you know, you mentioned that in your book and it's something that, you know, I think is, especially for this audience that has, you know, probably inflammation often, you know, like systemic inflammation, it seems like that could be useful. I mean, I'm curious your thoughts on. Totally. So I've been sprinkling it into all kinds of things like coffee and oatmeal for years, right? Before it was trendy, just because I find, I mean, as a dietitian or just a human, I find all of the herbs that were used around the world that the Western society has not adopted fascinating to me, right? There are so many uses to so many things that are used in Asia and India that we don't know. Nobody here uses until finally, oh, curcumin, we found one. Like, no, this has been around for a very long time. Very smart. It's on Oprah and everyone's like, oh, my yes, (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I've been sprinkling it into things forever and it has a lovely flavor. When I roast my potatoes, I put it on there and it's delicious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you start seeing this boom. Wow, now I can buy it everywhere. But there's a good reason. And I think that's why all of these, I want to call them old spices, but you know, like Eastern medicine spices, there's something to a lot of them. And so all we need to figure out is, are there any risks? Because we're going to overdo it. I don't want to 
I, I grew up in this country and I, I, I love it. Um, but we like, we overdo everything, right? It's like, oh, little is good. Like four times that much must be better. No, totally. Right. Yeah. So people are going to overdo it. And what, what's the problem? And then what's the interaction with a medication or with all the other things that everybody has? So the only, and I'll start with that first, because I feel like if that's a non-negotiable, just rule it out before you hear it. But we wouldn't be talking about it if it was going to have a lot of side effects. So nobody worry too much. You take too much. There are a lot of GI side effects. People will complain right. of, right? And that's common with a lot of things. The creatine too, people will complain of bloating and weight gain. And if you Googled it, you'd see that. And that happens. And you know, maybe you then start more slowly or it goes away or you don't like it and you stop, yeah, right? Totally. Um, so the curcumin is the active uh, ingredient or bioactive part of the turmeric. Um, and there's a lot of really good research behind it, right? Not surprisingly. So there were some studies that pitted against um, NSAIDs like Advil, you know, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and, you know, there's placebo double blind. You're like, well, you don't know which one you got. Let's see. Uh, and people's pain went down equally for both. Um, would they go down with a sugar pill too? Maybe if I thought I was taking curcumin. So there, there's that. The placebo effect is also useful sometimes. Um, but I think there's some good data when they did other kinds of research where we were only giving it decreasing pain, um, increasing function. And again, it's really safe. It's readily available. Uh, you can you know, put it in your latte, you can do whatever you want with it, or you can buy it as a supplement. There's some good studies um, in knee osteoarthritis with decreasing pain, increasing function. And knees are studied because knees are problematic for so many people, but it it makes sense that that would apply to other, you know, if, you're, if it was your shoulder, totally, yeah. it would be similar. Um, ulcerative colitis and some of the other inflammatory bowel disease, which are on the rise. And whenever we have a disease that's going up, if it's lifestyle, we can understand it. If it's not like ulcerative colitis, it's an inflammatory bowel disease, doesn't look like lifestyle. Like, what are we doing? Why is it going up? Right? There's something happening. Um, so inflammation's going up, you know, 50% of the Western diet is more inflammatory. And no, it's not that we have to avoid all white flour or carbs, but how about something less than 50%, you know? Um, so I think it's a, it's a really good, option. And I think you mentioned you started taking the Prevenex supplements. Mm -hmm. I told you I listened to your podcast. Um, <laughs> I know Brian and those guys too. Their, their supplements are great. Um, I and love that stuff. Yeah. I did not expect, I mean, I had been taking, I've been taking um, glucosamine for a long time for just, you know, I've had some injuries from mountain bike racing for so long For sure. and it, and it kept things under control, but this rigid big toe was becoming problematic again. So I was like, all right, I stopped taking stuff and started taking that without a whole lot of expectation. And one day, maybe two weeks later, I noticed I could lift my toe off the ground. Like I was like, whoa, you know, I mean, all I had this mobility that I didn't have before. And I was like, that right. works. Yeah. Especially when you go in skeptical, you're like, okay, this was the opposite of the placebo effect, right? Yeah, no, I mean, totally like I, I expected like maybe it wouldn't hurt so much because it was actually starting to even wake me up a little bit. It was starting to actually bother me. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, OK, if that if it stops bothering me, that's a win. But I didn't really expect that I would get more that it would get more mobility out of the joint. You know, it's not 100 percent back to what it was, but it's a, it's way better. Like it's I, it's a it's much more functional. Yeah. And so that product has the Boswellia in it, right? Yes, Which, that in conjunction with the curcumin has been shown to even be more effective. So 
you know, this is what's so fascinating about science and think, you know, like they use eggshell membrane. You know, everybody's going at it from a different way. If I talk to an Eastern medicine herbal herbalist, they'll come at it from a different direction, but we're all getting at the same problem and we're all coming to the same place. And I'm recommending the foods and the herbalist is putting it into this secret green powder and, you know, Prevenex has got it in their supplement. So you have to be careful with supplements and make sure you've got a, a reputable company and that it's certified and you've been through that before, but it makes some sense. So um, when you said that, I was like, Oh, yep. It does make sense. I'm so glad your toes better. Um, but there, there's, there <laughs> makes too. some sense. Yeah. So I think it's another great option, right? I mean, I didn't put anything in the book that I thought was a bad option because I didn't right, think that was useful. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and the other thing, I mean, I had been taught and practicing and saying for years, oh, well, if you're going to do the curcumin, you have to do it with the pepperine or black pepper extract. And there are a couple of newer forms that you actually don't need to add the black pepper, that they're more bioavailable and they're absorbed better. So you don't need that pepper to increase the absorption. So if people are seeing that, that's not, you know, it was like when we said probiotic has to be in the fridge. Well, what if it's not? Must be garbage. Well, maybe it's not garbage. So some of these are, are absorbed without it. So that may be okay. Is there anything that you wanted to convey that we have not talked about yet? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, the underfueling thing is just such a, maybe we've already talked about it just to reiterate it. Like really, if you have any doubts at all that you're under eating or not listening to your body or finding yourself, you know, rummaging through the fridge, or I don't know if you have other people you live with eating their snacks in air quotes, like why are they their snacks? Why aren't they your snacks? Or you know, following any of those rules, I would challenge, are those your rules? Are those rules somebody else gave you? Do you really need to follow those rules? Are they helping you? Or what if you challenge those rules? Like, what if you ate a sandwich with two pieces of bread and two eggs and an avocado or whatever you wanted and you saw how you felt and you said, like you said, Celine, hi, I felt better. And you know what? I wasn't thinking about food between breakfast and lunch, you know? Well, I have to think about food because I'm talking about it. But other than that, you know, go about your day and do something else. If you constantly find yourself thinking about food, thinking about which foods you can or cannot eat, what time you can eat them, if you have rules, I only eat this food on Tuesday and that one on Sunday and this one not before 6 p.m. Even if you don't think they're holding you back, those things probably are. And if you think about it and it bothers you, I would say just question, like what would happen if I ate a cookie at nine o'clock in the morning or pizza on a Tuesday? You know. When we allow ourselves to do those things, we take the power out of those foods. And then when I'm at the party or I have a pizza pie left over or three after my kid's party, I don't find myself in the kitchen eating as much pizza as possible because I'm never going to have it again, right? Or something like that. So just challenge those things. If you think something is bothering you or holding you back, it's worth just inquire, examine it, explore it. What if I ate another sweet potato here? What if I added quinoa? What if I did eat a cookie? Like, it's going to be fine. You're totally going to be fine. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I truly sit down with Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and talk testosterone. We take a deep dive into this often overlooked hormone and how it affects our health and performance and what it means at this time of our lives. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, you know what to do. Stay feisty.
You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.